So if you have a director who you really love or you see a movie by a woman and you're really into it, look them up on Twitter, look them up on Instagram, follow them. And then right away you get access to their projects early because they're tweeting about them behind the scene pics. A lot of directors, you know, they love making art. They're really excited about it. So if you tweet them and you tell them you love their movie, or if you ask them a question, you know, you can, they, they'll answer you. A lot of them are really, really super friendly. So definitely support your favorite filmmakers on Twitter or Instagram, because I do, and it's fun. Hi, I'm Rebecca, and this is Women Direct, the podcast all about great films and the women who make them. And this is the 10th episode. It's my Ask Me Anything episode. And I decided to do an Ask Me Anything episode to sort of wrap up the season because uh, I'm going on hiatus. And today, to read me my questions, I have a very special guest. She's not a director, but she is a woman. It's my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. I think we'll have a really good time. I hope so. Oh, and just so in case anyone is worried, we are quarantining together. We're a pod. We're not breaking any quarantine rules, so it's fine. Thank you for being here, even though you had no choice, and I made you do this. (laughs) You'll you'll pay for it. No, of course, thanks. Okay, so um, before we start with the questions, I want to ask you a question. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... I'm a cinephile, and I think I get that from you. You're quite the cinephile. And I was kind of wondering, because you've seen so many movies um, over the years, was there ever a point where you started noticing more women directors? Or is there, do you remember seeing anyone, any particular one stick out to you from the past? No, actually, I never paid attention to the women directors or the, the directors in general. I mean, sometimes when they were, really really well known and I had no choice but uh, basically I'm, I never really thought about that genre. I don't think that's true at all. You used to tell me okay first of all you definitely definitely paid attention to directors because you used to tell me all about Hitchcock. You were like super obsessed with yeah, Hitchcock. That, yeah I know but that yeah Hitchcock. Well, those but, are... well you definitely were around when like Amy Heckerling movies came out. Do you mm-hmm. remember some of those? Jane Campion? Uh, yeah, because you've made me more aware of them, actually, and that's why, <laughs> right? Maybe, but I feel like you definitely, when I was little especially, you were the one controlling my movie choices, and I know we watch movies directed by women. Like, yeah. you um, you were probably the one who brought A League of Their Own. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's Penny Marshall. Yeah. And um, strangely not big, though. I don't remember us watching big. Yeah, that's true, with Tom Hanks, right? More of an, yeah. yeah. Well, A League of Their Own was also had Tom Hanks. And then we definitely watched Clueless. Yes. Yeah, there were some in there. Mm-hmm. More in the 90s. That's true. And then I was definitely not old enough to watch The Piano when it came out. No, I love The Piano, actually, yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie. Okay, well, I just want to pick your brain in that aspect. Mm-hmm. You definitely watch more um, movies directed by women now. Essentially yeah. because I forced you to. No, you didn't force me to. You encouraged me to. <laughs> you sound like you have a gun to your head. No, no. I forcefully encouraged you to think about things. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So do you want to start asking me the questions? Yes. I'm excited. Okay, so this comes from Mercedes. And uh, it's, what are some films you think are more deserving of attention? Okay, well, essentially, I think all films directed by women are more deserving of attention. Because uh, even the ones that are famous, I think most people maybe have heard of them, but haven't necessarily seen them. But for this question, I picked some of my favorites, my more obscure favorites. So one that I really love is uh, Get the Trial of Vivian Amsalem. And it's uh, directed by Ronit Elkabitz and her brother Shlomi Elkabitz. It's an Israeli film. Ooh. Yeah. And it's um, it's the last in a trilogy, which you it's I didn't know that before watching it. You don't actually have to watch the first two films for that movie to make sense. But it's um, the way it's shot is really innovative. And it's um, it's basically about this woman who is go trying to get a divorce in Israel. And the only type of divorce available in Israel is this religious uh, divorce called a get. And it creates all these kind of complicated problems because in order to get a get, you have to, um, you, basically the man has to give permission. And so this film is about her husband, this woman, Vivian Amslam, is trying to get a divorce and her husband keeps kind of stalling the process. So I love that film. And then another one that I think really deserves attention, and I really think that if more people saw it, they'd be super into it, is um, this British film called The Governess by Sandra Goldbacher. And she did a film that's slightly more well-known called Me Without You that's about a toxic friendship. But uh, The Governess was her first film. It's a period piece. It stars uh, Minnie Driver. And um, she plays this young... A Jewish woman in the Victorian era who is very sheltered and her father um, her father dies and she finds out that she's her family's actually in a huge amount of debt so she uh, she disguises herself as a Christian or I guess a Protestant some sort of Christian woman and she goes on to be a governess in a family hiding her identity and it has all these really interesting elements of um photography, romance, passion, like Jewish identity, um, the female gaze that examines that. It's like so brilliant. I love that movie. And I wish more people would discover it because it's so, so good. Mm, you have to you, you have to help me get those movies because I really want to see them now. Well, I'm not done. Really this is like, <laughs> I have a lot of movies, I think. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Because those are so good, though. I mean, I, well, I'm glad you're already enthused about these ones. Okay, another one I really like is um, Clip by, I'm, I probably am not uh, pronouncing her name correctly, but it's Maja Milos. I forget where she's from. But, um, you know, you've heard of the movie 13, right? With Catherine yeah, yeah, Hardwick. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about like these young girls who are. Uh, like they're 13 and they're starting to be more sexualized and they act out and they're they're trying to be older than they are. And I remember watching um, 13 and not really connecting with it, but Clip is sort of like in that kind of genre. It's about this really young girl and she starts acting out in really sexualized ways. And that movie hit me really, really hard. Like, the, the actress in that is actually, I think, only about 13. I don't know how they shot some of the stuff. It's like, 
I would like it does not seem appropriate, although I've heard they had um, stunt doubles, but it's it's really interesting. And I think it shows like um, it, it also uh, shows the young girl sort of recording herself on a cell phone. And it's so funny because the movie came out in 2012 and already it seems kind of like quaint the technology she's using. But it, it was really cutting edge at the time because it's showing how people were sort of like filming um, themselves, like children filming themselves in sexualized ways and the way like the sort of repercussions and why they do it. And it's a really empathetic movie in that sense. And um, it's from Serbia. It's a Serbian film. And uh, the director was very young when she made it. I think she was in her 20s. She hasn't, disappointingly, she hasn't made anything since. I always, I keep checking her IMDb hoping she'll, uh, she'll have a new movie coming out. But I think that's um, a brilliant, really, really brutal film that not enough people pay attention to and not very many people have heard of. Uh, and you'll be more familiar with this one because I'm always trying to get you to watch this one. But another one is um, Seven Beauties by Lena Wertmuller. She's an Italian director. And um, the Seven Beauties was actually, um, it was the first film directed by a woman to have that woman be Oscar nominated for Best Director. But strangely, not a lot of people seem to know that movie. It seems to kind of have fallen off. And um, I always wonder why that is, because, you know, it's such an important milestone. It happened in the 70s. I've seen the movie. It's like, I think it's completely brilliant. I think Lena Wertmuller is a brilliant director. She had a huge body of work. I think she's directed upwards of like 20 to 30 films. And she is now an honorary Oscar winner as of last year. But for some reason, I just don't think um, that many people like have seen it or have heard of it. So I always find that really strange. I'm always trying to promote that movie. It's um it's a Holocaust drama from the point of view of um this sort of patriarchal, really um what's that word for when like a guy is really like a dandy. He's like a dandy. And he has um he has seven sisters. And it's sort of about how he goes from being this like misogynistic dandy to being like totally humbled and brutalized in the Holocaust. It's yeah, it's really depressing, but also like there's this dark humor running through it. It's really good. Lena Wormuller's films kind of remind me of Federico Fellini's films, and he's really he's still really respected and loved. And it's always totally baffled me why she isn't more, um, you know, acknowledged. Mm-hmm. The next film I want to do is uh, The Fits, which is, you've actually seen The Fits. I don't know if you remember it. We saw it together. It's a film by Anna Rose Homer, and it's so far, it came out in 2015. It's an American film. It's the only one she's done. And um, it's about this little girl in who's part of a dance troupe. And um, it's very unusual. It's like this totally unusual film in that it shows this girl kind of embrace it who's a tomboy embracing like more feminine aspects and embracing being part of like a friend group like a friend collective but it doesn't show that normally that's shown in kind of a negative way and more books and movies are about being individualistic but this movie shows how it's more a bit more complicated than that and one of the reasons I like that movie so much is um I think it was only made for something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars U.S. which is like a lot of money I mean you could buy a house with that money, but for a film, you know, for a film, that's not a lot of money. It's like peanuts. 
So I just find that movie incredibly beautiful and also really, really interesting to watch. And then my final selection for this question is Vamps, which I'm a huge fan of Vamps. It's Amy Heckerling's most recent movie. Amy Heckerling, we know, did Clueless. And um, it's just this really wickedly funny, totally sweet, nostalgic movie about two, um, two vampires who are best friends. And it's played, they're played by Alicia Silverstone and Kristen Ritter. And that was when it kind of went, it went on VOD in 2012, back when VOD, like it was kind of looked down upon streaming. So it it really was kind of missed the mark, but I always hope more people will see it. And I always recommend it. And people who watch it always, um, you know, they tweet me, they write back to me and they're always like, oh, I saw Vamps. Vamps was really cute. So more people should watch Vamps. Very good. Okay, ready for the next question. All right. Next question from Tweety. Which actor or famous person do you wish would become a director in the future? I struggle with this question because I I don't know. I still have this bias that I should probably get rid of where I think like actors who become directors are really terrible at it. What about Ida Lupino? Lupino. I don't know. I don't... We'll get to that. Okay. But I just feel like, I don't know. I, I And the funny thing about this question is that for years, um, I totally was a huge fan of this British actress called Roma Ligari. And I think she's super talented. But in interviews, she always sounded like so upset about the film industry, which I don't blame her. Like it's a sexist, racist industry. Is she not in the movie Emma? Yeah, she was in the um not not the movie Emma. It she was in a mini series of Emma, which was directed by a man. But anyway, um, Roma Ligari always sounded like super upset about the industry, which I don't blame her for. And I always thought, oh, when it, reading her interviews, I always thought she would probably be a really good director because she's complaining about being powerless like with her choices and how limiting being an actress was but you know what Roma Ligari is now a director she yeah she um her first film which is called Amulet came out this summer I think it only came out last month I still haven't seen it because it's a horror movie and horror movies kind of freak me out I have to sort of psych myself up for that but I would have picked her but now, because she's already a director, I'm going to say Nicole Kidman. Yeah, I know you like Nicole Kidman. Of course, yeah. Yeah, we're huge fans of Nicole Kidman. Of course. And I think, um, I remember reading this interview she gave, and she was talking about how in recent years she's decided to deliberately make the choice to work with more women. And she said it was because one of her daughters wanted to be a director, and she's talking about how important it is for young girls to know that's a choice. Because um, Nicole Kidman is also friends with uh, Jane Campion, who is the amazing director. And she said that when Jane Campion was young, she knows that uh, Jane Campion's father put a camera in her hands and he taught her all this stuff. And Nicole Kidman says she really regrets not having that opportunity. And she said, maybe if I had had that when I was young, if someone had been encouraging me, I would have been a director. So, Nicole Kidman, it's not too late, you know. Excellent Time to choice. do it. <laughs> of course you would love my Nicole Kidman answer. And also, this is kind of like a, a lazy answer because 
this is kind of borderline. But Ellen Von Unworth, who's, um, she's a photographer. And I know she did like a short film for like a short fashion film for some fashion house. But I always think she should transition to, um, to film because I really I find her photos so beautiful. And um, she's also all, already kind of a director. But there's this uh, music video director called Sophie Muller, who's done all my favorite, um, all my favorite music videos. And she works a lot with Gwen Stefani and Sophie Ellis Baxter. And I always was, I'm so surprised and so angry that she hasn't transitioned into feature films too. I guess like that's her choice, but she's so talented. And I just wish, you know, I would totally watch whatever she put out. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Next question. Next question is by Lily May. Um, any emerging talent on the horizon that we should be aware of? Who would know that? Yeah, I um, I have a bunch of people. I was like, how emerging is emerging? Mm. I don't know. If we're talking about people who have done one film, I would say Anna Rose Homer, who did The Fits that I already mentioned. I think she's amazing. I'm constantly watching to see like if there will be any updates on her career. And also... Um, Channing Godfrey Peoples, who I got to interview for on this podcast for her film, Miss Juneteenth. I was super impressed with that film. So I'm really excited to watch where her career goes. And also, she's done two films, but I also really like the Israeli director, Rama Burstein, who is um, an Orthodox Jew. And I just find her perspective on, um, on the world is really unique. Because you don't often see films about Orthodox Jews made by Orthodox Jews. And she's really compassionate and she's really good at showing her specific worldview. And then two directors who are definitely super, super emerging are um, Nikiatu Jusu and Miriam Diallo. And Nikiatu Jusu is, um, I hope I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. But she is an American filmmaker of Nigerian descent. She did um, this short film about black vampires and how like the melanin would make them immune to sunlight. And I, I thought that was so unique. I've been following her shorts for a while. Uh, I know that she went to Sundance recently to develop a feature film script. So I'm excited to watch that in the next few years. And Miriam Diallo uh, also did a short film called Hair Wolf, and it's about um, it's about black hairdressers, and it, it's also a, a genre sort of um, sort of horror in in that vein. And I'm excited to see what she does next in terms of feature films. I'm impressed by your knowledge. Well, <laughs> Thanks, what do so. I know? Right. Anyway, next question is by Audrey. What book would you make into a movie? But you probably probably make more than one book into a movie, I would imagine, right? Oh, there are so many books. I know. That's what I, was I would like to see made into a movie, but I decided to go with um, I I picked two different ones. So one that I don't, ever since I read this, I think I read this book like over ten years ago. And I always thought it would make a beautiful movie is this book called The Known World by Edward P. Jones. It's an American book, and it takes place in um, the 
the southern United States during the slavery era. And it's about, um, it's hard to explain. It's sort of about this interconnected family and um, also about the white slave owner who of treats um, one of his black slaves like a son and how that, um, like the surrogate son ends up owning slaves himself, which is actually historically accurate. There were black people in the... Um, in the era of slavery who owned other black people, although usually it was um, other family members that they just, you know, it was too hard to sort of buy their freedom. So they would just technically in quotes own them, but they wouldn't, you know, actually make them work. But it's a really interesting book that sort of, um, it, it talks about the how your prejudice sort of limits, can put limitations on love, you know, and it twists it. It's incredible. Like the writing is beautiful. The concept is amazing. I think if I had to choose directors to adapt that movie, I think Chloe Zhao, who's this um, Chinese-born American filmmaker, would be really good for that because she has such a great sense of um, she the way she films la like landscapes and land and atmosphere is so beautiful, and she has a real feel for like slowness in films. And another person I think might be good for that is Dee Reese because she did that beautiful film Mudbound, which has like a lot of the similar aspects where she's talking about the land and um, and she it, it's this it manages to weave together these family dynamics. So I think those two directors would be really brilliant with that book. And then another one that this one would be like almost impossible to adapt. It's this very strange book called Fifteen Dogs. It's a Canadian book. And it's about um, the path of 15 dogs who are given consciousness by um, two gods. And it's, it's very strange, but it's beautifully written. And it's sort of about, about morality and, um, and freedom and that sort of thing. And I was thinking about how I really think the only way to do justice to that sort of concept is through animation. And there's this amazing, I believe she's Polish director called Dorota Kobiela. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Sorry. But um, Dorota Kobiela did this movie that was nominated for an Oscar called Loving Vincent. And it was um, a biopic. Well, not really a biopic. It was sort of um, inspired by the life of Vincent van Gogh. And it was um, done in the style it was an animation film done in the style of his painting yeah it was incredible yeah. and um it was nominated for I think I mentioned that it was nominated for an Oscar and she has another film coming out called The Peasants which is also a film done in paintings but like an animation film done in this beautiful painterly style and I think she would do an amazing adaptation of 15 Dogs. But no one ever adapts Canadian books. Like, no one cares. So I'm super sad. That would be my dream. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, next question. Next question is by Ben. What would be a movie starter pack for people who want to learn more about female directors? That would be me, I guess. <laughs> Liar. you've seen a lot you just don't remember them okay until I bring them up but I um I get this question a lot and I think that usually my go-to answer and I'm gonna say it again here is that if people don't know where to start and they're overwhelmed by choices 
I always say you should start with all the um, movies that were directed by female Best Director Oscar nominees and the one winner. Uh, because at the I used to recommend this when there were only four. Now there are five. But you could literally just knock them out in a weekend. And do you know, Mom, do you know the five films? Uh, the Piano is one of them, right? Yeah. And do you know the uh, other ones? Um, I mentioned one of them. Um, You're never going to get the first one, although I did mention it. Uh, I don't know. I really don't. Okay. You're, you're going to know them when yeah, you yeah. hear them. Okay. So the first one was Seven Beauties, directed by mm-hmm. Lena Wertmuller. Uh, it must be Wertmuller, because I think she's Did German. Wertmuller. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first one, Seven Beauties. Um, The second one is The Piano, Yay. Jane Campion. Uh, the third one is Lost in Translation, yeah, Sofia right, Coppola. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the third one is The Hurt Locker by Catherine Bigelow. Sometimes people get confused. That's the fourth one, actually. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mom. That's the fourth one. Uh, sometimes people get confused. They think she, um, Catherine Bigelow was nominated for uh, Zero Dark Thirty. She was not. It was The Hurt Locker. And the fifth and most recent one is Lady Bird, directed oh, yeah. by Greta Gerwig. So um, if you want to knock them out, I think those are five great films to start with. And all those women have, well, Greta Gerwig only has two feature films under her belt. Hopefully she'll have more because it's basically the beginning of her directorial career. But uh, Bigelow, Coppola, Campion, and Wertmuller have um, a few films you can really dig into. And if you want a a couple more films, uh, Children by a Lesser God, directed by Renda Haynes, is a film I really love that people seem to have forgotten about. And it was nominated for Best Picture, but Randy Haynes did not get a Best Director nomination, which is unfortunate. And Winter's Bone by Deborah Granick, which is sort of the breakout film of Jennifer Lawrence. That film was also, I believe, nominated for Best Picture, but didn't get a Best Director nomination. There are a few more, that, like where directed by women, where they got a Best Picture nomination. But those two in particular, Children of a Lesser God and Winter's Bone, are ones I really enjoy. Mm. Okay, on to the next question, right? That was that was very interesting, actually. Um, which movie should every cinephile or otherwise know? know? Okay, I love this question because I'm totally a film snob. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know uh, too much. I know. I know too much. I was thinking about this question. This is I'm going to talk for so long because. I have so many thoughts on this. It's like, what kind of film snob do you want to be? So I broke it down into three categories of film snob you could be. This is how much of a snob I am. Yeah. Okay, so if you want to be a contemporary film snob, like these are the ones where if you um, talk to people who are say they're into film and it's more, these are the more contemporary female directors you should know. So Claire Denis, French director, and the films you should know are probably 30 shot, Five Shots of Rum, Beau Travail, and White Material. She's done like a ton more, but those are the three you should probably know. Uh, Scottish director Lynn Ramsey. So you should probably know We Need to Talk About Kevin, but all her films are pretty good. You Were Never Really Here is also one that came out recently that people really enjoy. Uh, Kelly Reichardt is a big one. She's an American filmmaker. Her breakout film was Wendy and Lucy uh, with Michelle Williams. She's done a lot more films since then. And my personal favorite is River of Grass. 
And then Chloe Zhao, who I've already mentioned on this podcast, her breakout film was The Rider, but all of her films are good. And she has two more coming out this year, so, you know, go see her films. Uh, Marin Ade, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but she's a German director, and her breakout film was Tony Erdman, but she's only done two other films, so check those out as well. Uh, Lucretia Martel, Argentinian. She has done uh, Zama and the Headless Woman. Andrea Arnold, who's also Scottish. Her breakout film was Fish Tank, which you should probably watch. Um, I don't know how big she is. I mostly hear Film Stop sort of like, um, sort of insulting her actually, but Japanese director Naomi Kawase, she, a lot of her films get into cans or can, I guess. Anyway, she, and every film of hers I've seen, I really like, so I don't understand why, you know, the film snob community seems not quite to like her, but whatever. Her breakout film was The Morning Forest. Uh, really hot right now is Celine Sienna. She's a French director, and uh, she just did Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but all her films are good, and her next best one, uh, most well-known one, is probably Girlhood. Sofia Coppola, obviously. Um... The ver- her first three films are probably her most well-known. And um, I personally really like Marie Antoinette, which was not successful when it came out, but seems to have like a huge critical revival in um, since it came out. So that's really great. And then Dee Reese, Pariah, and Mudbound. Mudbound is the one where she was Oscar-nominated for Best, uh, best Screen Adapted. Yeah, Best Adapted Screenplay. So those are like... I listed like a ton of films, but probably, you know, most people have heard of these directors. Have they necessarily seen these directors? No. I always kind of joke that most people, you know, love one or two, have one or two favorite film directors that they really love. Well, female film directors that they really love, but are they the same ones? No. So like, if you can see me, if you are a fan of maybe five of these directors, you're ahead of the pack. So, so you've seen all these films that you just yeah. listed? Okay, and I just want to specify the ones I listed are maybe not my favorite ones because a lot of these directors have like deep filmographies and my mother is making a face right now like why have you wasted your life seeing all these films? I don't know. I just really like movies and um, I just want to specify like the movies I listed are their most popular ones, but maybe not the ones I like the best. I feel like if you enjoy their films, or even if you don't, give them a shot. You know, watch one or two films. With Lynn Ramsey, I didn't like, I could not connect with her films until her fourth film. And then I was like, oh my god, I understand what everyone's talking about. Anyway, that was just part one. So that was if you want to be like a contemporary film snob. If you want to roll with people, that's that that's like your basics. That's what you should know. If you want to be like, if you're like, oh, contemporary films, I don't watch anything um, after 2000. Don't worry, I have you covered. If you are an old school film not uh, old school film snob, you should watch Dorothy Arzner, which um, I really love, and her most popular film is probably Dance Girl Dance. But she did a bunch of them, and Lucky. Everyone who's just hearing her for, of her for the first time, her films are now very available. You can find them on Amazon Prime. I used to have to go to the library. They had like one or two. I was crying, but 
her she has a very rich filmography uh you can it's not that hard to track her down anymore definitely check her out um the total queen of old film school snobbery old school film yeah anyway agnes varda who i absolutely love she has an insane filmography she started directing in 1955 she did not stop until her death in 2019 and she was working the whole time so you don't have to see all of her films although they are now all available thanks to the criterion collection so lucky everyone who's discovering varda for the first time but her really, really big film that most people are familiar with is called Cléo de Saint-Cassette. And she also, her debut film, La Pointe Coulte, is also a really good one to watch. There is Czechoslovakian director Vera Chitlova. I don't think I pronounced that right, but that's okay. She did this film called Daisies, and um, you can find it through Criterion. So it's not that hard to track down. It's um it's a very unusual kind of experimental film, but I highly recommend watching it because a lot of uh, you when you watch it you're like, "Oh, I see where that director got their inspiration from." Like it's definitely a film that's been uh it it's influenced a lot of other films. There is Russian director uh Larissa Shapitko. Her films are um she did a film called The Ascent, which is probably the one you should watch. And her career was tragically cut short because um, she was in a car accident and she died. Mm. Yeah. Her, her, um, and she was married to this guy who's much more well known than her, I think. And he did a film called Come and See. So if you've ever seen Come and See, check out Larissa Shapitko's work because that's his wife. Jane Campion, obviously, the piano. Gillian uh, Armstrong, Australian director. You should watch My Brilliant Career. You know, everyone, My Brilliant Career is one of those films where, like, I don't feel it gets a lot of mentions, but everyone who has seen it really loves it. Elaine May, The Heartbreak Kid, great film. Uh, Joan Micklin-Silver, American. She did Hester Street and also Crossing Delancey. Shirley Clark, who is also an American director. And Shirley Clark, great time to get into her because I forget who did it. But not Criterion, but another um, another film company that sort of restores old films recently restored a bunch of her films. So you can go and watch a lot of her Oscar-winning shorts and her documentaries. Uh, Chantal Ackerman, Belgian-born French director. Classic. You have to see her. Uh, she Her film that's the most well-known is Jeanne Diamant. Well, it has a much longer title than I'm not going to read. But it's this three-hour epic. You need to prepare yourself to see it because it's a very slow movie. But I think everyone who is interested, who thinks of themselves as a cinephile or a film snob, should definitely watch that movie at least once just to, you know, kind of experience it and know what everyone's talking about because a lot of that's a very influential film as well. Uh, Ida Lupino, who is an American director, and her films that are probably well known are The Hitchhiker, which is in the public domain for some reason. So if you Google it, you can find it on YouTube. And she also did another really great film called Outrage and a whole bunch of other films. And Barbara Loden, who was an actress turned director, uh, who directed Wanda. And Wanda, I call them grandmother films. This is not a term, but it's just... It's, I call them 
Wanda, I think of as a grandmother film because it's a film where I've seen, I've literally seen different versions, like people without sort of crediting it, kind of adapting that exact story. And I can see they're so influenced by Wanda. It's almost like a direct adaptation. And the crazy thing is like, I, I read criticism of those movies and people don't get the references, but like, you have to see Wanda. It's now on the Criterion. It's easy to track down. Very influential film. People should watch that. I'm going to stop there because I've been, I had a third category of film snobbery, but I'm like, I think that's enough for most people. Like, I didn't get to all my favorite films, but like, those are pretty good. Those are kind of more essentially ones. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Oh my God. Okay, well, no, no, it's okay, but it's just a lot to to get through, though, eh? Like a lot of movies to watch, you know? Well, okay, I just want to say that when I first started, like, thinking of myself as a film snob and trying to track down movies, I used to look at all these other people who were recommending movies, and I was like, oh my god, how have you seen so many movies? It's just time. Like, over time, you slowly start to see more and more and more movies. <laughs> so now is a good time. Yeah, huh? if you're now is a good time. Yeah. If you are stuck inside because of COVID, you can't go out. Now is the time to rediscover all the great movies women have put out over the years that have been ignored. It's I a good agree. Movie. I agree with you. Okay. Next question. Next question. Okay, this comes from Jenny. Which country is the best country to be a female film director? Uh, in um i.e. which country to think is most supportive of female talent? Well, this is sort of like a complicated question. I feel all countries are kind of bad in this aspect. Although, shout out to Sweden, because a lot of, a few years ago, a lot of countries um, decided to put in place this 50-50 by 2020 program. And what they meant by that was they were hoping to achieve gender parity not just in film directing, but basically in all aspects of film production, like in front of and behind the camera. Uh, and this was especially prominent in countries where this doesn't happen in the U.S., but in a lot of other countries, you have um, you can apply for government funds. So people were especially mad that, you know, if you're you're getting money to make your art from the public, to, like from the public why are all their tax dollars going towards films directed by men? Like, that seems very biased and unfair. And Sweden was one of the countries that decided to do 50-50 by 2020. And I think they actually achieved that by 2016, which is crazy. Because, you know, so many countries make those promises and then drag their heels. I know that um, Canada tried to make a similar promise with their uh, government funding, and I don't think they were able to achieve it, which is incredibly disappointing to me. And also, in addition to that, recently things have come out where a lot of the um, the people sort of adjudicating the process have been outed as sexual harassers, which is just, you know, incredibly depressing on top of that. So shout out to Sweden for committing to the program and for getting it done early and for saying, you know, this isn't impossible. This is actually quite possible. And my surprising second answer would probably be the U.S. Because 
you know, I don't think there's any American woman who would say it is easy to get a film funded there. They don't have, well, some places have regional grants, but Hollywood is a very sexist industry. Even the indie cinema is very sexist. But at the same time, American cinema is so dominant, right? Like, I've listed all these filmmakers and so many of them are American. So I think, you know, to be seen, you, even people from different countries go to the U.S. and try to get their films made there. And in that aspect, yes, it is good for women film directors. Next question is Pablo. I mean, coming from Pablo. How do you think COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter will impact or has impact impacted the female film director arena? Well, I'd like to say, you know, things will get better, but I'm not sure they will. For example, um, people are going back. COVID-19 is not over. There is no vaccine as I'm recording this. And movies are already going back into production. And I'm worried about it. And basically, if even the people who have the most money to go into production right now are usually the studio films. The studio films are still very biased against women. Women still mostly work in independent film. And I don't know if they're going to have the funding to, or even if they want to still keep going, you know, in this time, it's very, very dangerous. So I know that there are going to be films that aren't going to be made. Like the money was there. They were ready to go. COVID-19 hit. It's over. You know, maybe that film doesn't come back. Even if there is a vaccine, that's, um, that's the film industry. That was, there were a lot of stories I remember reading about directors who had funding and then the Great Recession hit in, I think it was like around 2008, the funding went away and their careers were derailed for five, maybe more years. Maybe it still hasn't recovered. Uh, And I think even films that went into, that that are made, are, are being impacted. Like, there were a lot of delays with, um... The theater shut down for a while internationally, and there were a lot of delays about movies going out. And this was supposed to be a year where there were a lot of women finally directing big studio epics. And now that it was going to be a record year for women's films in theater and making money, and now that isn't happening. And you can see it with Mulan. Mulan was supposed to be... um, It was a big Disney epic. They were promoting it. It was supposed to come out. And then right before it premiered, COVID happened. Well, you know, everything shut down. The theater shut down. And now it's not going to um, premiere in a theater. It's going to Disney Plus. So it's streaming. And, you know, people can say, I know there's a lot of people who don't see the importance of the theatrical experience, but there's still, you know, there's still a ranking. There's still, it's still considered more prestigious to open in theaters. It's still considered more prestigious to see, you know, those box office numbers to see who can bring it in. Nikki Carroll, the director of Mulan, she's been directing for a while. You know, she will probably, I'm sure she'll probably be fine, but it still, 
it still hurts as an outsider to see this happen. And I hope, I still hope that all the progress that was happening continues as we get the vaccine and that people are still going to be able to make films. I'm sure you'll get your wish. I hope so. And with Black Lives Matter, you know, I I really hope that um, the it changes things and that it makes people more aware. I'm very, very, very hopeful, uh, you know, that pe- because there's a lot of energy right now. People really care about the experiences of Black people, which includes Black artists, which includes Black women artists. And I remember, uh, it's so funny. I remember I probably started really paying attention to women directors I mean, I was always interested, but I remember really paying attention circa 2012. And I remember looking for Black women directors, and there were so few out there. And I'm not saying they were non-existent. I'm just saying there were so few. I remember Victoria Mahoney, who's an American Black director. She had a film come out in 2012. And Ava DuVernay had a film come out in 2012. And I followed their careers for so long because, you know, they were there were so few of them. And I've watched as more and more Black women directors have gotten attention. And I've been, you know, even internationally, there are not a lot out there. And there are Black people who live everywhere, but they're not getting the funding. And that's really frustrating. I, I noticed there was a lot of energy after George Floyd was murdered and that a lot of people were saying, you know, read books by Black people, see movies by Black people, which was encouraging. But something I found really distressing was that a lot of people were sharing works um, that starred Black people, but were maybe written and directed by white people. And, you know, that's fine, too. Like, that's great. People, I noticed people were recommending Fast Color, which is this great movie directed by Julia Hart. I like that movie. But I worry that people, you know, they're always promoting white artists. You should also definitely be looking at Black artists. You should, um, there are... The few that manage to break through the industry have so many interesting things to say. They have great, they have great vision. And it's so frustrating to watch year after year as they really struggle to get, you know, second or third films made. I am hopeful it will change, but it's still, the state of affairs is still very distressing. This could be the time, eh? I hope so. So we now have the last, few questions by Charmaine. First question from Charmaine is, if you could pick any woman director, dead or alive, to direct a biopic of your life, who would you choose? What if instead of a biopic, it was a documentary of how your Tumblr came to be? It's a biopic. Biopic. Oh, so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive me. Okay. I thought about this question. Um, I live a boring life, so someone who would direct a biopic of my life would have to be someone who could make, like, looking at a computer screen or, like, walking or reading look really, like, poetic and cinematically beautiful. Uh, so I picked Chloe Zhao, you know? She has, um, although a lot of her films take place outdoors, but I think... She chooses very ordinary people. So far in the two films she's released, her films are sort of about ordinary people and she makes like their lives seem so beautiful and poetic and so interesting. There's not a lot of dialogue. I think Chloe Zhao would take the um, 
the boring bits of my life and make it look very poetic and very beautiful. So that's who I pick. And if I couldn't have her, um, maybe Jane Campion. Yay. Maybe Sofia Coppola. I don't oh, know. There's so You're going big. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if it was a documentary on how my Tumblr came to be, I don't think that would be very interesting either. Like, I just had... Um, I was watching all these movies and I just wanted to um, to have people to discuss it with. And I feel so fortunate that people were like, yeah, why aren't we watching more films directed by women? And so they all, you know, people came along for the journey. It's been so much fun. But I think if I was choosing a director for how my Tumblr came to be, I would choose myself because I don't actually like documentaries in general, but I was thinking about the ones I do like. And um, I feel Agnes Varda was like the master of the genre. And she was really, really good at, um, at doing sort of confessional documentaries where she put, she made herself look so exciting and so fun. So maybe I would do that. I would film myself, you know, tumbling Ooh. or tweeting. And uh, who knows what I would do with it. But that's, I would probably take on that directorial project myself. Very good. Last but not least, um, do you have any recommendations on ways to support women directors for those who don't feel safe going inside a movie theater right now? I love this question. I don't, you know, in this family, you know, we love going to the movies. Like, it's a whole ritual. I love going to the theater. I love getting popcorn. I have this weird freakish memory where, like, almost every movie I've seen in a movie theater, I can not only remember that I saw it in a movie theater, I can remember which movie theater I saw it in. Like, it's just such a great ritualistic experience. But right now with COVID-19, I do not feel safe going into a movie theater at all. Like, it's not something I feel comfortable doing. But good news, there are lots and lots of ways to support women directors. And now I will tell you about them. So first of all, you should Google your city because uh, some cities have are putting in drive-throughs where you can watch movies. So if you are lucky enough to live in a city with a drive-through, you know maybe that film directed by a woman is actually premiering in your city, and you can watch it that way. Uh, if you are not able to go to a drive-through right now, a lot of films are going on video on demand, so you can access them pretty much right away. I know that happened with Juneteenth. I know that happened um, with Eliza Hittman's new movie, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. They have some really great programs where if you have a local art house cinema, sometimes you can buy a movie through the cinema. And that way, like the cinema gets a little money and the movie gets a little money. And especially like if you're quarantined with people or if you're quarantining with some people, it's um, like the movies are more expensive to rent them on VOD because, you know, you're accessing them right away, but it can be worth it if you're splitting the cost. Now, if you don't have money, because, you know, it's sometimes financial situations are a little tough for people. There are a lot of great ways to stream films. Um, I know in Canada we have the NFB, which is um, National Film Board. They have a lot of free movies there. There's Encore Plus which is on YouTube, and you can stream some free things there. Uh, also, CBC Gem is free. These are Canadian-specific. But um, if you have a library card, and you should because the library is amazing, 
But you can stream movies through the library, which I think a lot of people don't know, but it's a really great resource. And it's really easy to get a library card. If you can't go in person, a lot of libraries are now saying, you know, they're doing exceptions. You can register online. You just um, Google the name of your city and library and it should show up and prompt you. And um, they have Canopy. Well, I have Canopy, which allows you to access free movies to to stream. A lot of them are directed by women. Um, it's a great way to watch movies. And of course, you should always follow people on social media. I'm always, always upset because, you know, I follow so many great directors on social media and I'm like, why do I have more followers than them? They should have more followers, you know? So if you have a director who you really love, or you see a movie by a woman and you're really into it, look them up on Twitter, look them up on Instagram, follow them, and then right away you get access to their projects early because they're tweeting about them, behind the scene pics. A lot of directors, you know, they love making art. They're really excited about it. So if you tweet them and you tell them you love their movie, or if you ask them a question, you know, you can... They, they'll answer you. A lot of them are really, really super friendly. So definitely support your favorite filmmakers on Twitter or Instagram because I do and it's fun. I agree with you. Also, I'm glad you didn't forget the popcorn because that's very important. I know. I miss popcorn. I miss movie theater popcorn, I know. which I'm sure is very unhealthy for me, but delicious. <laughs> I know. Okay. So I think that was all the questions. Mm-hmm. See, I had to cut it down and I'm... This podcast is still very, very long. Ooh. So. <laughs> okay. My favorite words. Kick that ooh out. Eh? Yeah. Okay. Um. So anyway, um, this is the end of the podcast. But mom, I. Okay. So I'm not going to recommend any films because I just recommended like maybe 50 films. So now it is your chance to recommend, uh, to tell people if you have any films directed by women that you want to recommend. This is all mainstream because I just don't know 90% of the movies that you mentioned. But, um, of course, it would be The Piano with Jane Campion, right? Yeah. um, And I think that was made in 1993, eh? And uh, that's definitely one that I would would recommend. And um, also, I think I would... Oh, Emma. I loved Emma. But I love all the Emmas. But this last one with Anna Taylor was really really great and that was directed by um autumn dewild yeah autumn dewild is a um she's a fashion photographer i think and music video director turned filmmaker and you can tell watching yeah the movie that she's a photographer because all her like shots are exclusively composed i know that's just beautiful and last is the heartbreak kid eh? the um i like the old one with charles um Groden and Sybil Shepherd. Also, Jeannie Berlin was in that one. So, did that was you made know, in 1972. Yeah. Did you know Jeannie Berlin is Elaine May's daughter? Yes. yes. Okay. You did know that. Yes. I love it. The Heartbreak Kid is good. It's a really funny, but like darkly funny movie. And like the part Jeannie Berlin plays, I don't know if, would you film me in such an unflattering manner? Actually, probably. You're wicked. That's true. I probably would. But she films her daughter. Like, her her daughter plays this perfectly nice woman, but, like, she, her husband starts to hate her. And then you see her kind of through her husband's eyes, and she's, like, whiny, and she eats all, like, she, she has all this food all over her face. I think, um, 
Jimmy Fallon got an Oscar nomination for that, I think. I wouldn't be surprised. And um, But I, I haven't seen the remake, though, and I don't know with Ben Stiller, so I'm not sure about that one. I heard the remake was really bad. I've never seen the remake either. I'm checking it. Yeah, Jeannie Berlin was nominated for an Oscar. That's cool. Why didn't you ever direct me to an Oscar? No, I can't direct. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, also I did mention Zero Dark Thirty, but that's kind of a bleak one, right? So there were yeah. there, there are parts in there by um, Catherine Bigelow, and I think there are parts in there that would be kind of hard to take, right? Like the scene, the torture scene, and all that. So. Maybe not that one, eh? Why not? If people want to see it, they can see it. Okay. All right. And those are my choices. Yay! Mainstream. <laughs> so what? Mainstream? I don't think um, Elaine... Weirdly, I don't think Elaine May is that mainstream. No? No, okay. even though... You know what? I don't even think Jane Campion is that mainstream. Like, I think a lot of people have heard of Jane Campion. Have a lot of people watched Jane Campion? I don't know. This is like the piano, though. I'm sure I'm, they have seen that. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I think people like don't watch these films anymore. I'm always like, watch them, they're so good. I like your passion, though, for the um, movies and the directors and all the knowledge that you have. That's amazing, you know. Thanks, mom. <laughs> you. you have thank to you. say that. No, 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 thank you. No, you really are, you know, an expert in that stuff, really. All right. Okay, so that's it. That's the show. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to my mom for reading out the questions and for giving birth to me. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, thanks to my sister who um, basically forced me to do this podcast. It was fun. You you made me do a good thing. Uh, thank you to all my guests. Thank you to um, Mariah Times 2, Channing Godfrey Peoples, Diana Drum, Jenny Lamb, Jessica Swale, Angelica Jade. Anna Biller and Caitlin. Thank you to my editor extraordinaire, Sachi Lovett, and Sarah Blakely for doing my theme tune. And thank you to all my coffee contributors. This would not have been possible without you. I am not going away forever. This is just a temporary hiatus because I love my microphone. It will come back eventually. Bye for now. <laughs>